0: Hello beautiful souls. You are going to absolutely devour this podcast. I had an incredible conversation with the beautiful Helen Jane Campbell, who is a life and business coach for creative people and the author of Founders, Freelancers, and Revels. She lives on High on Why in Wales in the UK. And it was so beautiful to have this conversation. One of the many reasons that I wanted to speak with Helen was because she was on a different path for many years and her life completely changed, um, in her forties when she not only came out to herself in her own sexuality and sensuality, but also she shifted into becoming a coach and working for herself completely and guiding, um, beautiful human beings into stepping into their true self. And I know that there's many humans in my realm that you know aren't in their 20s and may have more responsibilities in their life and they may know that there's something else out there for them but all the things come up right the fear the worry the doubt the how is this possible how am i going to make this happen and i really want you to listen to this podcast and allow helen to inspire you to realize that it is possible the life that you're wanting to live the truth that you're wanting to exude the person that you're wanting to be is possible yeah there is going to be scary moments and there's going to be moments where you're going to have to you know we speak about in this podcast coming home to yourself but it is so incredibly worth it you're going to leave this conversation with having the little heart glow in your heart like i do right now after having spoken to helen and i know that you are going to receive the insights that you need in this podcast for yourself so sit back relax and enjoy my conversation with Helen. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Beautiful Souls podcast. I'm so excited to have you all here today because I have an incredible guest, um, Helen Jane Campbell, joining us all the way from Hay on Why in Wales. I hope I said all of that right. Um, and I'm really excited to dive into her journey um, of how her life has completely transformed in the past few years. And she's really reinvigorated and refound herself within her 40s. And something that's very exciting as well that I literally just found out is we We are birthday twins. Me and Jane have this, sorry, Helen have the same birthday on November 17th. So we celebrated her birthday about last week, which is amazing. So thank you so much for being here, Helen.
1: I'm so happy to be here. This is a lovely way to spend the evening meeting you and having this discussion about uh, themes that are really close to my heart. And I'm super Mm -hmm. excited that we have the same birthday and um, at some point I may mention another connection of someone else that has the same birthday as me that was kind of like my mentor when I was growing up so that's really beautiful as well.
0: It's, it's amazing you know the beauty of the internet and I think the world that we are in because um, Jane is a coach to um, your coach to creators as founders and rebels and her book is called please Remind
1: for, for me what your book is called. <laughs> Found, you, you almost uh, described it right there. So it. founders, freed. Uh, I can't even say it now. Founders, freelancers, and rebels. And then the sort of uh, subheading is how to thrive as an independent creative
0: amazing um and I know that this wasn't always your path so let's take us back a little bit because you're living this beautiful life in this magical little town you guys should look up Mm -hmm. hey on why it looks incredible um but many many years ago this was not the path that you were on and maybe you can take us back to where you started before you got to where you are now
1: Mm, so there's there's two different ways we can do this I think what What's quite exciting is probably to start with my other birthday twin my great auntie Gina who um, she she was my grandmother's sister and um, she was such an inspirational person when I was a child growing up, so I grew up in South Wales, and I didn't know. uh, Really, I guess any other way of life apart from I hadn't you know I hadn't traveled a lot my family took us on really beautiful holidays to a forest in in England we went every year to the new forest and there were deer and and horses while ponies and it was kind of like Disney but we hadn't really traveled abroad or anything like that and my great-aunt Gina who was also born on the 17th of November. She, as I say, she was my grandmother's sister, so she was already a retired lady when I started writing these little airmail letters to her as a child. And I think it started because, um, you know, when relatives send you money for Christmas, I think she used to send us money for Christmas. And then I would write a thank you letter, but then she would write back and then I would return the letter. And then we ended up writing for years and years. And when I was 13, so I developed this writing habit which always kind of stayed with me. And it came through those airmail letters, this very thin blue paper, because we definitely didn't have emails then. And we didn't have mobile phones. So we're talking early 80s. And I'm writing these blue letters. And then she starts sending these envelopes that get thicker and thicker. And they've got photographs of elephants and hummingbirds and all these things. She's been on safari to Kenya. She's got hummingbirds in her garden. And I'm this little girl in South Wales, developing this... Habit of writing to my aunt, and writing has become very, very important to my life. And I just wrote and have my first book published. And when I was 13, she wrote to me and she said, "Uh, I want you to come and visit me in California. And I was like, Holy shit, (laughs) because nothing like that ever happened to anybody like me. It was like, it was almost like winning a competition. And I think that was the start of seeing that there were other possibilities out there in the world other than the the life that I'd experienced. And it wasn't like there wasn't, I didn't have a bad life, but I had quite a small life maybe. And then it could just kind of opened up and these other possibilities became available. And uh, that's not to say that my family weren't encouraging. They were very encouraging around creativity and art and music and things like that. But the travel piece and the seeing this this bigger world was was facilitated by my great aunts. And um, so from there, I kind of got these these ambitions, but I was quite I, I was quite a nervous little girl as well at the same time. Wow that's
0: incredible and I think you know traveling the world is one of I think it's the best teacher you know I've been very fortunate it's been like one of my passions and I've lived in four continents and like been to many places and it's like you there's no better learning than being amongst different cultures and it also helps this discovery of who you are and and what is important to you and it also gives you so much compassion and empathy for you know the lives of others because even though it's like you you know Some people may not have a bad life. It's like there's the world is so much bigger than what happens in our day to day. It gives us so much more perspective and possibility for who we get to become. So, after having all those letters and writing to your aunt, did you go and visit her? And like, what happened from there?
1: Mm, So I went. uh, I I assume that this is still a thing, but at that time you could get on the plane. As a child by yourself and the air hostess or host would would look after you and then you'd get handed over to your relatives the other side so that happened and I went out there for for three weeks and I remember my mum sitting me down and my my aunt had called or written to my mum and said I'm really worried what if she gets her first period when she's out here that was the only thing she was worried about with everything like she was really happy to have this little girl that she didn't know that well to come and stay with her for three weeks in her house um, but she was worried that I was going to get my first period when, when I got there so my mum kind of uh, packed me off with these very Um, we we didn't have nice uh, thin kind of um, uh, sanitary pads or anything these were like these doorstep bricks and I'm sure it (laughs) affected my luggage (laughs) my my luggage weight quite a lot but uh, my mum sat me down and had this conversation with me and and put these things in my bag and and I was all prepared and luckily you know it didn't didn't happen when I was out there but that 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 was uh... so it kind of it's like a coming of age in that way as well that these conversations were happening And this inspirational woman uh, was there and and she just showed me so much. And I think when I came back, uh, the world seemed more vivid Mm -hmm. and the writing, I continued the writing habit. And when I... uh, finished school and went to university and all that kind of thing it was like this communication and this writing was always what kind of got me to the next place and the next place so I ended up uh, getting a graduate training job in a press office where uh, you're reading the newspapers every day you're writing press releases you're meeting journalists and so in the same way as my aunt had kind of given me almost the keys to this other world that I didn't know existed, writing continued to give that to me. So Mm -hmm. as a PR person, you're not necessarily on a great wage when you start. In fact, it was quite a low-paid job. But you get to go to parties and dinners and launches and political conferences. And it was like being given the keys to another world.
0: Mm, Wow. And, you know, I can imagine, I'm just thinking of, like, what PR would have been like back then? It would have been a lot different pre-internet, as I can imagine. I'm sure your job like has had to evolve, or your job did have mm. to evolve so much over the, you know, all of the years. And wh- where did your career go from that space? And what kind of led to this? I'm sure as and this is in all of our lives, there's many ups and downs. But what kind of led to this pinnacle of a big shift that you've had in your, your recent years?
1: Mm. So, uh, yeah, it was definitely PR pre-internet was kind of hilarious when you look at it now. We used to cut articles out of the newspapers with scissors. We'd glue them onto paper. We'd photocopy them. And then we'd get, I'm not even making this up, we had a little train that went around the building to deliver them to the different floors. And there were 25 floors in the building. We legit had a little train to do. (laughs) And that's slightly hilarious, but it's true. So that happened. So. I spent the first few years of my career with my hands always black with newspaper print constantly, but that was kind of a badge of honor because I loved the whole industry of of newspapers. Mm. Um, As I then progressed, I worked in PR agencies and eventually set up my own PR agency. And I also married a national newspaper editor as well. And so that lifestyle of the press Mm. I went to red carpet events we had a very strange life a very exciting life but uh, so I went to I went to the Olympics I went to the 2012 Olympics opening Oh,
0: London mm. oh that, that's amazing I was watching that Olympics then um, and that was before my whole life changed but that was an mm. incredible Olympics it would have been amazing to be at that opening ceremony as well didn't the, like the queen like dropped from the sky or something <laughs> The that exciting. was the,
1: with the, with Daniel Craig with the yes. with 007. Well yeah. remembered. Yeah. And was that the was that the year before you had your. In yeah, so in,
0: 20, yeah mm. in 2012 I was literally sitting in, in Vancouver Canada at home watching the Olympics I've always loved the Olympics and the 2010 Olympics were in Vancouver the winter ones and I'm just one of those people I just cry when I watch the Olympics because I just think it's so amazing and I think humans are incredible um and so I was crying watching the all the teams compete in synchronized swimming and then my life changed about a year after a year and a bit Uh, after that where I got an opportunity that led me to Australia and four years later I was on that stage which it still, I, yeah, it still baffles me when I think about it, but it's so cool to see, you know, this is, I think I say this to many of the women that I work with. It's like, when your world starts to open up, there's so many incredible human beings mm-hmm. around the world. And when we start to open up our yes. eyes and realize our worth and be true to ourselves, like, mm. you know, I, all the women that I work with are amazing, but then, and and sometimes in the, these communities that we find, we're like, oh, there's all these incredible women, but there's so many out there. And, and it's yes. so cool to see the synchronicity like you're on the other side of the world. Mm-hmm. I'm in Canada, you're in the UK and we have the same birthday. You yeah. went to those Olympics. Like there's all these synchronicities. And, mm. and you know, I just, just a reminder that I I choose to believe that humans are amazing. And, and then I continue to find that proof in, in reality. But I digress.
1: No, <laughs> oh, it was a beautiful digression. And you've also yeah. reminded me, I'd forgotten this. This was very beautiful. I went to a hotel that had a a pool on the roof and they had the UK synchronized swimming team doing a gold finger, you know, like the James Bond, all in gold swimsuits on the roof of this hotel, which I'm saying it, that sounds like such a surreal experience and it really happened. So so PR and newspapers opened up all these worlds Mm. to me. And um, I think what I learned was that writing could make things happen for me and so I've continued to have that thread through my life, and in terms of uh, the changes that we were talking about, and we had a chat before, and, and sort of on email, and so on, I was in a relationship for 10 years, and that ended, and unconnected to that ending, I've really started exploring kind of who I am and how I want to show up in the world and this isn't the reason that the relationship ended but as we talked about I've started exploring my own sexuality my identity and all sorts of things around that and also writing about that as well Mm -hmm. and so I think I feel the best way to describe it is free I feel the most free Mm -hmm. that I've ever felt and I just turned 44.
0: Wow what was it like in the sense of opening up about your, like to yourself, first of all, but then to your community about your sexuality and your beliefs and your desires, you know, especially say you come from kind of like a smaller place. I know so many of us, the world, I think in general is so much more accepting now, but sometimes the hardest people, whether it be about our sexuality, whether it be about our beliefs, it's sometimes the scariest
1: to come out to the people closest to us. I really love the way you phrased that question, Danielle, because you said what it was, what was it like coming out to yourself? And I think that, that you've really seen me when you when you asked that question, because actually coming, <laughs> you're so right, coming out to everyone else was much easier than coming out to myself. Because mm. it was almost like it wasn't it wasn't that it was a new thing, it was me accepting myself. And so because I'd chosen to marry a man then it hadn't my bisexuality had lost its relevance to me personally and I don't think that needs to be true I don't I don't believe that marrying somebody of the opposite sex means that you're not still bisexual I don't believe that but for me it had taken that conversation off the table for, for me personally and so I guess I closed that door and I didn't ever really contemplate it opening again and then when it did I <laughs> i don't know about you well I suspect knowing that you know hearing your story but when I do things I just really I don't do them by halves I really go in like both hands both feet I jump in and then I ask after I'm like oh what are we doing but I just jump in so this is very, very typical of me. Instead of gently exploring my sexuality and thinking about it and, and exploring it slowly, I'm starting a pride festival. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Going yeah. all night all in so we're actually calling it a pride event not a festival because we don't want to get ahead of ourselves we're kind of like oh it's it's just an event to begin with because festival sounds big and scary but we're starting the first pride in hey on Wai, um me and my friend graham and so i think for me uh i'm uh, i i can't even think of how to describe it that is not a gentle introduction to my sexuality mm. is it <laughs> that's
0: going into of- like yeah being hidden (laughs) to being like the leader of a movement (laughs) it's not like that's a leap (laughs) but I think that's amazing as well like you know my you know you go all in and and I think that's so beautiful about like the LGBTIQ community it's just which I love there's just so much love and acceptance in that space you know and so it's Oh yeah, it it actually brings tears to my eyes, and I don't mm-hmm. identify as queer, but I, I I I identify as someone who believes that all humans get choose to get to be who they want to be, and mm-hmm. I remember um it's it's just like another little sidetrack, but I was in Australia living in Australia when they um. The, the gay marriage was illegal in Australia mm-hmm. up until 2017, and I was part of. Um, in Australia, if you don't register to vote, you um, if you re- if you don't vote and you're registered, you get fined. Um, and so mm-hmm. I hadn't registered to vote because mm-hmm. I didn't want to get fined, and I was traveling a lot. But one of the reasons I registered to vote is like I want to be a part in making sure that this movement mm-hmm. comes to be because I can't believe Australia is yes. so far behind, mm-hmm. um, and just seeing all of the campaigns about, you know, it it was all about love. It was all about acceptance. It's all about having free choice. And and I think that's, what's just so beautiful. And I love the parallel of you coming out to yourself. It doesn't even, I think with so many people, it doesn't even have to be about sexuality, but just in Mm -hmm. sense, like, so many of us is like how can we own ourselves deeper and how can we accept ourselves deeper Mm -hmm. and own who we are and what our desires are whether that be within your sexuality whether that be within your life whether that yes wealth your career Mm -hmm. your relationship because I think we if we're kind of a emotionally intelligent human we're all going to have those moments it's like frick I need to accept who I am
1: absolutely and I love that you've made that analogy obviously there are like you described with with laws changing and things there are barriers and there is prejudice and all of those things and that's one of the many reasons that that we have pride and at the same time I think that uh, yes being able to recognize ourselves and who we are and show up and own our identity is so important in all aspects of life and Mm -hmm. it can the reason it can feel scary is because people will start telling you their opinions about it, whether you like it or not. Um, I, I think with, with with topics like this, um, I, I was really surprised even before it came to the conversation about sexuality. I was really, really surprised that people who I didn't know that well decided to share their opinions about my divorce with me without being asked. And I found that um, I find it unpleasant <laughs> um, because I remember I remember going on a, a little walk with a group of people locally and a, a woman who lived near me saying in quite an angry voice uh, you can't just give up on marriage Helen and that was her opening gambit that was her way of talking about the fact that I was getting divorced and I was kind of like, wow that was kind of aggressive." And I was upset that she said it because she didn't know the details and and it's easy to make assumptions about people. But then I realized when I really thought about it, she was scared because she may have started thinking maybe her marriage wasn't safe. Maybe her marriage could break up and perhaps she'd never had that thought before or perhaps I'd put that thought into her head. I hadn't suggested that to her in any way. I didn't think that was uh, that wasn't anything that was on my mind but I was that was the only reason why I think she might have made that aggressive comment to me is because perhaps she was seeing a mirror and looking at herself and worrying that what she considered maybe to be her safety was mm. was not necessarily that safe and I'm, I'm totally projecting here but I couldn't think of any other motivation for her expressing such oh, a, I, that a strong be- view.
0: A hundred percent, right? That's why it's it's a sacred mirror, right? It's someone projects onto you what they're afraid of within themselves. And you were probably in her field of reality because maybe that's something that she was going through. And that's maybe the thought that she needed to say to herself, or maybe you were the reality that she needed to choose, but she didn't have the courage to because of her age or conditioning of belief systems. And I think it's hard when other people give us here. They're like, Here, I'm giving this to you. You're like, I don't yes. want that.
1: What no, thank can you. I do thank <laughs> you. It's not
0: helpful in my life in any way. I, I think we're living in a world where people seem to do that a lot more. And I have, I have a beautiful yes. friend. She just gave me this analogy years ago. She was like, It's mm-hmm. imagining someone's passing you a bowl of like, Here's my opinion of you. And you can just gently be like, No, thank you. I'm not taking mm-hmm. that on. That's That bowl mm-hmm. is for you. That opinion mm-hmm. is for you
1: absolutely and I think at the time because I was feeling uh vulnerable and a low air then I, I wasn't comfortable with people choosing to give me those opinions yeah. um now I just I have a real curiosity about it I'm kind of I would be open now to people telling me their opinions at the time it was too close and I think that's something that, that's really interesting with coaching so I I work as a, a business and life coach as well and I when people talk about authenticity, I encourage my clients and those around me to be authentic, but also to not put their unresolved trauma out into the world as a way of processing it. Unless they're, com- you know, some people are comfortable doing that because they have got enough support and grounding to be able to explore in that way, and that's that's something that they've worked through. But in general, most of us aren't equipped to put our unresolved trauma out into the world. And I think sometimes people mistake that for authenticity. And they put everything that's in their heart and soul out for the public and are looking for some kind of acceptance back. And if they don't get it, it can be very, very painful. And so I've been mindful to try and avoid doing that as I've been on my journey.
0: Mm, That's such an incredible perspective, because I think that's something, it's actually one of my values is authenticity, but then it's also walking the line of like sharing, you know, I heard this analogy once and I think you sharing unresolved trauma, like that's a really great perspective, but sharing the analogy is like putting it out there when it's scarred over, not when it's a gaping wound, bleeding, Mm. you know, because Mm -hmm. it's not other people's responsibility to, you know, know, in the outside world, uh, outside of our support system to have to take that on. Mm -hmm. but then we walk this line, it's like, where, how can I show up as an authentic human being? But yes. then how can I also be integral and like, you know, lead myself and know that I can work on healing myself. And I don't need, you know, to put it out there as also for, I think sometimes it happens for validation. You know, people look yes. for the validation and the love that maybe they aren't receiving in the inner circles. Yes. Um, but I think it, it's, an, it's an interesting world that we're stepping into where I think so many more people are stepping into the value of wanting to be authentic mm-hmm. but then we also have to walk that line because it is a fine edge
1: absolutely and I, and I wouldn't say I get it right all the time and I think it's been a bit of a dance for me over the last couple of years
0: Mm, mm, definitely so from your from your divorce and then coming out to yourself into the world what and you are in this job that you loved um in pr and newspaper mm. what instigated your shift into what you do
1: now mm, so um i worked for the way i always describe it it's a very neat uh journey where i worked for other people for 10 years and then i worked for myself for 10 years and then I became a coach and that wasn't conscious, the 10 year thing, it was it was coincidental, but it's just really uh, lovely shorthand to, t- to tell the story. And what had happened when I started working for myself initially, more than a decade ago, uh, it wasn't the done thing. Working from home wasn't the done thing, working flexibly and uh, independently, it wasn't really a trend. So it was a bit of a lonely scenario for me and... I remember at the time setting up a Facebook group which I thought maybe three or four people might join just saying is there anyone out there working in PR for themselves and I ended up by the time I left that group eight or nine years after I'd set it up there were three and a half thousand people or something like that on there (laughs) so apparently there were a few people out there working for Mm. themselves and um, what happened kind of organically was that people would approach me partly because I set that group up and partly because I was one of the first people in in our kind of network to go out there independently and they'd say what's it like what's it like working for yourself and they'd ask me a bunch of questions so informally I became a mentor to Mm. a network and the coaching training came second because sometimes you see the opportunity and that's why you go and train and other times it's the other way around so I was very lucky in a way because I trained and I already had clients there kind of knocking on the door and I was like wait a minute I just got to go and learn how to do this and I'm going to come back (laughs) and then I have something for you. Mm -hmm. Mm, That's a
0: it's a, it's a cool to see how our life gives us evidence for our path. You know, it's yes. like we get to a certain point and then we look back and realize, oh my goodness, thank you university, you given me all the things that I needed mm-hmm. to know for this journey. And yes. I think that I speak with a lot of women of all ages and you know, the reality is that we're living in a day and age where many people will have multiple careers, you know, the, yes. the days of us like getting a job and 40 years, 40 hours, you know, whatever it is, um, like that, that's just not what the world that we're living in. And mm-hmm. all of us are going to have shifts and pivots throughout our careers. And I think sometimes um, we can still be stuck in that old conditioning and belief system that it's bad to shift our job yes. or bad to want to change. And I think you know, I I love, uh, I'm not sure if you know into human design, but I love looking at people's human design because it actually does have, you can kind of learn more about yourself or whether it's Myers-Briggs or Enneagram any or, or anything mm, like that mm-hmm. or your astrology, but we all have, you know, different trajectories of our life. Yes. What would you say to someone who is in this space where they're like, I don't necessarily love what I do. Maybe I'm in my 40s and I want to make a shift, but it's terrifying. You know, sometimes at that point in our life, we have more responsibilities kids, house, mm-hmm. you know, animals. And it can be, it's so much scarier to make that shift at that age than, you know, when you're 22 and don't have anything Absolutely. to care for.
1: Absolutely. And I think that um, it's a lovely question. And where i find that people can connect with their creativity and with their safety at the same time to feel safe is to think about what you love doing when you were a little child and often that'll hold the clues but also it can bring that safety because and unless you know obviously there's exceptions of not everybody had a lovely childhood but I'll give the example of of uh, one of my brothers. So I don't know if you can see this artwork behind me, but one of my brothers is is gorgeous. One of my brothers, uh, just to describe, because this is obviously a podcast, um, it's a it's a, a wizard. It's a screen print of a wizard which was drawn in pen and ink, and Richie was always, when we were little, lying on his stomach on the floor with a black pen. Even when he was tiny, kind of three and four years old, he didn't take the colours. He would just take the black pen mainly and he would draw cartoons and all sorts of things. And that was always his favourite thing to do. And actually, for 10 years or so, he became a musician and he's still a musician as well. But then he's always come back to art and that's his main passion his main um source of income and it's it's kind of, you know it's, it's not just what he does it's who he is in many ways as well and so here that's a great example to think back to when you were three or four years old what you really really loved doing and that can remind people and connect them i think to their passion
0: mm, mm, definitely um and is sometimes we get so caught up in just what we are supposed to do or what's the mm-hmm. cookie cutter like you know get a good job get a good pension follow the path and then we get to a certain point a certain age um where you're just like I'm just not happy anymore this isn't the mm-hmm. life that I wanted to live how did you have the courage to, to make all of those changes
1: for me it's um and I'm using my hands as I'm talking to you so that's not very <laughs> helpful for people listening but it was a real overlap of phasing one thing out and gradually introducing another thing until eventually it was only so we're in November now it was only last November that I actually gave up my last uh, client that I was working with on marketing Mm. so I was doing not so much the media relations but I was doing brand work and copywriting and content up until this time last year but it was kind of you know 90% coaching and 10% that whereas this time six or seven years ago it would have been 90% PR and a tiny bit of coaching Mm -hmm. so I don't think even though it makes a nice story to close the door on one career and open it on another in reality it's usually a transition that's that's what I've found more comfortable and for my clients as well to create a a, a roadmap Mm -hmm. and to not be security is really important isn't it to not put ourselves in danger of not being able to pay the bills or running ourselves into the ground and so on
0: Mm, I I completely agree and that's what I actually tell a lot of people that I work with as well just like how can you gradually phase one in and phase one out that isn't the reality for everyone and and I've had some clients that have had to quit their jobs because of yes. workplace situations gone cold turkey and it's worked out perfectly yes. um, but I find that like if you're if we're going after a dream or a goal or a passion or new career it's really important to have you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs our base- mm-hmm. basic um safety and security because if we start dipping into that then sometimes our creativity and our like gusto for life can be shut mm-hmm. down um, and we don't actually have the capacity to do the things that maybe are in our genius at this greatest level because absolutely
1: we are about mm-hmm. the bills the
0: mortgage the rent all yeah. of that
1: and you're right because at the very top of that is the self-actualization mm-hmm. and being able to fulfill your potential and if we don't pay attention to that, and we pay too much attention to the basics, we can get very far down the road without, without even exploring what that might feel like. So it's definitely a balance. And you're right, I had a, a wonderful career change client who went from a classical music career touring the world to uh, working in the House of Lords in Parliament. Wow. And we only had, we had six sessions. Wow. And it was incredible
0: what a shift That's like, I know <laughs> we see that one coming with good
1: honor it was so good and um she'd written uh something like sh- shiny new job I think she'd written on a post-it note and she'd put a coffee down on it and the wording had kind of smeared and I said can you send me the photograph and, I, and she she said I could put it on my Instagram and she got the shiny new job and wow. it wasn't without a lot of work and a lot of hurdles but the self-belief was the missing key and that's what we worked on together I didn't give her the belief but she found it for herself with the support of coaching
0: mm, it's it really is everything and like believing in yourself and feeling worthy of the life that you're calling in it's the foundation of actually being able to hold it um, and I see that it's really magical as well. When I see women, and I actually have a program called worthy. It's like when we start to elevate our self-worth, things will start to come into our life. It's kind of like yes. a, not inverse, but like accidental manifestation. Cause it's like, I feel worthy. I finally feel worthy of the love, the job, the relationship, the home, the money, the promotion. And it's magical to see what happens um, in people's lives when we, when we elevate that. And I know that you're you do coaching, but you're also a recent author. So yes. what inspired you to write your book and put it out there into the world?
1: So I feel like if you practice any form of art or any kind of uh, uh, creative pursuit, that it's important to, to practice it regularly and mm-hmm. to, keep it, to keep it alive. So if you want to be a writer I believe you need to have a writing habit for example and I like to try my best to live by the kind of uh, advice that I might share with others so my writing habit was to put a blog post out on LinkedIn every Sunday night and it became Sunday night because the first one I wrote was about the so-called Sunday night fear you know the sort the of Sunday night dread where you don't want to go to work on Monday and um, that was the that was the kind of jumping off point And I kept writing these Sunday night blogs and I wrote, I think, 30 or 35 of them. And I'd always had an ambition to write a book, but I hadn't really thought about how I was going to do it, apart from just keeping up this writing habit. And I got an email from a publisher saying, would you be able to turn your blog posts into a book? Would that be possible? And uh, I ignored it because I thought it was spam. (laughs) It wasn't. (laughs) And um, I got another two emails from the same publisher saying, have you not seen our message? We'd really like you to turn your your blog post into a book. And eventually I realized it was a genuine offer and it wasn't spam. And I started writing the book and then um, had a bit of a meltdown after about 35,000 words and cried and and trashed it all.
0: why
1: do you have a meltdown <laughs> um, I was finding it super hard to write I was definitely my self-belief was really low at the time I didn't think I had anything to say that was interesting that anyone would care about and um I flew to Alicante in Spain and went to uh, visit a friend who lived out there and she wasn't very well, so she actually, she didn't tell me she was ill until I got there, but that was actually a really sweet thing because she said, I've arranged for you to stay in a separate apartment from me so you don't catch my, I think she had bronchitis or something awful, and um, and so I was writing and i was in this beautiful place and i i still sort of uh, met up with her a little bit she was very tired and so on and we kind of went to the doctors and, and and got her medication but i was spending a lot of time by myself with this book and i just started hating it i started reading it back over and oh this is awful <laughs> so i'd agreed to write it i hated it i'd got thirty five thousand words in and i sat I always say this is true. I sat under the table and cried, but it wasn't. The reason I was sat under the table is because there was a charging point into there, and my phone was running out of battery, and my lead was really short. <laughs> and <laughs> I was ringing and crying to my little brother Pete. So that's why I ended up under the table. <laughs> <laughs> but it always sounds extra dramatic that I was yeah, under the yeah, table yeah. when I was when I was having this meltdown. And uh, I had a chat to Pete, and then I had a chat to the friend that I'd been out to, to uh, visit called Gina same name as my aunt in California and she said have you read Big Magic mm. do you know that book by Elizabeth I haven't Gilbert? read
0: it but I know about it yes mm.
1: so uh Elizabeth Gilbert who wrote Eat Pray Love also wrote Big Magic and it's it's a really lovely book about the writing process mm. and she she's got some really beautiful analogies and stories in there and there's one about what she describes as catching the tiger's tail and it's about uh when a really beautiful creative idea comes into your head and you need to catch it before it runs away. And it's like having hold of this tiger's tail and kind of almost being dragged by this magical tiger mm. <laughs> and having to, to get the story or the poem out before the tiger runs away, which has really just captured my imagination. Um, but she also searched, there's some really grounded and kind of harsh advice. I know you, you, you like tough love. Yes, I love it. <laughs> You're a fan of deaf love. And she's like, your book is not your baby. If it was your baby, you wouldn't be able to get it published because we're gonna, you know, this is I mean, it's kind of gross what she says. It's like we're gonna pull the arms and legs off it. So don't ever think it's your baby <laughs> because your work is gonna get uh criticized and edited and pushed out of shape. So don't get emotionally attached to it in that way. And I was like, okay, I need a new strategy here. Um so I stayed up all night and listened to this book on Audible, woke up in the morning and started again, and the light bulb moments I had was that I didn't have to do it on my own.
0: You, so you brought in someone to help
1: you with it? So I started interviewing people, because I'd just been writing it out of my head, and I was kind of like, why would I think I would have to do that? Nobody told me That I had because it was a non-fiction book. Nobody told me that I had to write every single word by myself. Mm -hmm. And then, when COVID happened, I was able to get even more interesting people than what I imagined because everyone was just sat there (laughs) at home, and so very busy individuals suddenly became available. So I was speaking to neuroscientists and CEOs and just really, really interesting, fascinating people. Um, uh, One of Lucian Freud's sons talking to me about painting and just it really like it's I mean, COVID's been awful in many, many ways, but it also opened up the world to me on Zoom. Mm.
0: And so you interview them for the book. And that's they're, right. OK, amazing. And it, I think it's sometimes like it's so much it can be so much more interesting, too, when we have like a plethora of examples and lives to pull from for experience, depending on what the book is. And I, I, I've, I've wrote my own book, which is called The Unlikely Olympian, and it, holy crap, it's a self development process. Like it Uh is. It's like, you think, I'm just going to write a book. You're like, it's work, (laughs) you know, like in the way, like in the way that you would necessarily think it's like overcoming the resistance. You know, I was listening to like the war on art where he talks about like the, which is really great. If anyone's ever done like writing or creative project, the Mm -hmm. resistance that you feel to the thing that um, he shares how basically what you feel the resistance towards you, you desire the most so that's why it's like I you know you know you want to write the book so much but when you sit down you're like I, I'm just going to procrastinate everything to not do it which is I found that concept so powerful for me yes. to push through that kind of that barrier and that wall um I'd love for you to share like talking to neuroscientists neuroscientists and all these incredible people like what did you find out in the I mean there's a book about it so you guys can go and listen to it but what it was like some of the main themes that you found that you speak about in your book
1: one of my favorite interviews and I mean I loved all of my interviews and also I kind of I don't know if cheating is the right word i sort of cheated because i recorded the zoom interviews and then got someone to transcribe them for me so i didn't actually it's write smart. every word it was yeah, working it was smarter smart.
0: rather than harder. exactly
1: and then it made it much more joyful it just didn't feel like like a chore anymore so i interviewed a woman called kath brown who used to be a barrister and now she's a coach and her whole business is teaching people how to have difficult conversations and mm. i loved that so she used what she learned in the courtroom um, to help people, not just have difficult conversations at work, but in any aspect of life. And there were so many truths that she shared. And, and this whole idea of, um, I mean, I personally don't like people hiding behind email that she actually uh, explained about, you know, all the nuances that are lost and the tone of voice and everything like that. And, and also people can be nastier on email than they would be face-to-face in general. Mm-hmm. And so while we might think that it's easier to have the difficult conversation digitally, then if I'm looking into your eyes and explaining something to you and we're connecting, even if I'm telling you something that's really difficult for you to hear, then it's going to come across very different compared to if I barely know you and I send you a rude email about something that I've misunderstood, you know, it's going to come over wrong and create this really antagonistic situation. And she had loads of amazing tips about not she wasn't just throwing us in at the defense saying right okay you just got to go and have the hard conversation face to face she really talked me through it and we've done a few seminars together as well and uh, oh I spoke to this amazing woman as well uh Lindsay Goldworth, who's a journalist in New York she wrote a book about called Bow Down about how um dominatrixes can teach us how to get our own way in life if we wow. if particularly for women who aren't able to speak their needs at work, or in any aspect of life. That was so cool.
0: Wow, that would have been fascinating. And mm. it's, it's just so many incredible people, you know, out in the world that, we, you know, it just makes me excited, um, you know, when we hear about all those, these amazing people doing all of these amazing things. And from your book, and, and like, who do you work with now? And what do you do with um, people? You work with creatives, um, professionals, and what do you help them with?
1: Yes, lovely question. So I work with artists, actors, TV presenters, writers, uh, quite a lot of PR agencies and surprisingly, because that's the background I came from, I usually work with my one to one clients for six or 12 sessions. And then with my uh, agency clients, I'll do these uh, team days, team building, usually every quarter something like that and I'll often coach them one-to-one as well so we have these two opportunities to connect and you were talking briefly about Myers-Briggs and I do work with the 16 personalities profiling and different ways of exploring communication connection tendencies and there's so much richness there you know you start off with where you are on the scale between introvert and extrovert and explaining what that really means and I always say to people, being an extrovert isn't about dancing on tables, it's about how you top up your batteries.
0: Mm, that was like a breakthrough when I realized that I'm actually like an introvert. Because someone, I think I was listening to like Gail King and Oprah, and Gail King is like a proper extrovert, and Oprah is like, um because gail can get like energy from being around other people and mm-hmm. i and then i was like oh my god that's not me i get energy by being by myself mm. and it's like i'm like i ever i tell people you know i was like i'm actually very introverted but i can be yes. outgoing and charismatic yes yeah it's really this like all the little things out there all the little tools about how to know ourselves really yes. helps us succeed in this life on a
1: different level 100 and you're so right a lot of people think the words confident and extrovert are interchangeable and they're not at all so mm-hmm. i come up as 85 percent extrovert i really don't like to be by myself oh, really wow
0: okay I feel like I would definitely be like I'd probably be like maybe 50 50 or more introverted than extroverted like I um I have a beautiful friend of mine and this she, she also made me realize I'm definitely not a full-blown extrovert she will just like go into a party where she knows no one and like walk out being everyone's best friend and right. I'm like that's not me I'll stand by the food table and like make sure that I don't have awkward conversation <laughs> so <funny to> say. <laughs> Scorpio and me is I either, don't either want to talk deep about your life and your pursuits and mm-hmm. your dreams and your feelings or I don't want to talk to you <laughs> that's, that's just that's just me it's just my social awkwardness as well but um, just just learning to own it
1: oh I um, love it it sounds like you had you know coming out as introvert was quite a big thing for you if I can use that analogy yeah, and
0: real, yeah, realizing that, and and realizing that that's how I I feel I feel so much more energized when I actually take that time for myself, which is really yes. helpful. So, yeah, so good. What a beautiful, beautiful conversation we've gotten to have, Helen. Um, is there anything else that you would love to share with other people listening? Um, inspiration, wisdom, um, downloads, takeaways that you want people to take with them from this interview.
1: I think it's something about making space for yourself. So, people talk about self care a lot and it kind of gets misused, and, and a lot of us will just think about, oh, I'll take a bubble bath or whatever. But actually, that conversation's moved on. And I was working with a group of women this morning in a workshop, and the theme of the workshop I was delivering was about how to create your plans for your business for next year but we focused half of the workshop on how to make space because creating the plans on top of everything else that's already built up including the things that you probably want to release and (laughs) haven't had a chance to it can just be really muddled and chaotic and confusing and I think there's a lot of advice out there that may make us believe that we have to run ourselves ragged work all the hours Work outside of our comfort zone, and all of that can sound quite stressful. (laughs) And you know, we might we might buy the course or the book or the workshop, and then not even want to go or not want to implement the 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 steps because we don't have space to. Mm -hmm. So, thinking about we're going going into a new year soon, thinking about that, I would say, take the time. You know, whether people are working with coaches or independently. to to make some space before you work out what it is that you want to change because otherwise the world's going to feel very confusing if you don't make space for yourself in the change because these transitions and these big projects I suspect that when you were writing your book and also the amazing journey you've been on you needed to clear out some other stuff in order to be able to do that right
0: Mm -hmm. even just like to have the energetic capacity to hold Mm -hmm the vision or the dreams or the goals of the life mm-hmm. that you're wanting to live. It's like, it's all, um, if you feel cluttered, you're, you you do not have the space to do that. And even, um, I actually, one of my beautiful clients, she's a decluttering coach and it's, nice. it's, um, which is it, it, like when you declutter your physical space, you actually feel mentally lighter as well because it's a representation of your world. And I think that's such good advice because, I think we're not lacking. We're not lacking people with dreams, aspirations, and goals to make shifts in careers in their life. But we're, I guess, what people are lacking is the time, um, yes. and and the actual capacity to make the action and to do yes. it. You yes. Know? And that's where people can feel overwhelmed, or they give themselves like a short amount of time. It needs to happen next week. <laughs> like, yeah, well, and we <laughs>
1: underestimate. We massively underestimate how long things take to do, mm-hmm. and to do them properly. So that's a beautiful gift that we can all give to ourselves is to let go of some things that we don't need to say some high quality no's Mm -hmm. to turn down some invitations that don't resonate with us and to make some space and then we can start to look at the self-fulfillment and the aspirations and the dreams and stepping outside our comfort zone once we've done that
0: Mm. and one last question for someone that is kind of at the same stage in life that you were at a few years ago that is wanting to make this big shift and leap. What would you say to them? They feel nervous, they feel scared. What would you what would you say to help them? I think sometimes even doubting if it's worth it because it's hard, yeah, there's hard moments. Yeah.
1: I think the exciting, this is such a cliche, right? But you know, when people talk about enjoying the journey, hmm so I didn't set out knowing where my journey was going to take me Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I just set out on the journey and took the next step and the next step and of course I have done some planning and and qualifications and different things like that but in general if you want to make a change focusing on the first next step rather than worrying too much about the weight of a five-year plan or a 10-year plan there's plenty of time to do that once once you've explored but Take the first next step. Something that's slightly outside of your comfort zone. Something that's calling you. It doesn't have to be a big, scary shift. It's just about switching something up, turning mm. up the volume, turning up the volume on something that, that that brings you fulfillment, turning down the volume on something that really isn't serving you, and start to play with that balance, mm. and then. I think as you talk about kind of magnetic energy and things coming into your space, the opportunities will come into your space once you do that anyway. So maybe don't force it. Be very gentle about it with yourself Mm. and be very gentle about the changes that you make. And and yeah, just play with those dials and play with the balance and see what happens for you and be curious. Mm
0: -hmm. That can
1: feel really nice.
0: Mm. It's really good advice because I think our our strive for certainty can want to know what exactly the next like two years is gonna look like on the mm-hmm. pathway to changing your life or your dreams or whatever it may be your career. But it's like it will it will be different than you look. It will always be different than yes. you look. And I think it's like all you can do is focus on the next step and maybe have a little insight of what the step is beyond that, but things might change when you get to the next step, but it's just like have one foot in, um, I heard this recently from Melanie and Leah, one foot in gratitude for where you are and one foot in desire for where you're wanting to go. And when Mm -hmm. you keep walking like that, you will get there. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think as well, I mean, we are a little bit biased because we are in this world, but like have someone to support you, right? Like whether it be a coach, whether it be an accountability group of friends, whether it be a program, whether it be community, it's like your um, capacity to succeed is much is so much more accelerated when you have
1: support. So true. <laughs> Creating your squad is something I talk about all the time, and I'm so glad you raised it. It's a really nice uh, thought that when you're work- walking on this journey, that there's other people coming with you on the journey, and that you can turn to them anytime, and they're cheerleading you.
0: So, mm-hmm.
1: bringing those supporters and cheerleaders into your life in whatever form can be so comforting and help you to feel safe and give you the courage when it gets hard
0: Mm, definitely it's been such a pleasure to speak with you Helen and where can people find you if they want to know more and where where can they buy your book or listen to your book wherever it may be
1: thank you so much Uh, my business is called coaching by Helen so if you look up coaching by Helen or if you look at Helen Jane Campbell then I'm coaching by Helen on Instagram and my website is coached by Helen as well and there's details of the book and the workshops I run free workshops as well as paid for I like to be able to serve people who maybe don't have the the financial situation to buy coaching right now so I offer free workshops every month so that um, anyone can dip their toe in the water I'm mainly uh, looking at founders and creative freelancers, that's my primary audience. Mm-hmm. But there's, there is something for everybody out there as well, you know, between the book and the, and the workshops and the ones we're coaching. Mm-hmm
0: beautiful thank you so much for your time today and joining us on this magical little evening from hay on y in wales <laughs> so i need to go there someday because it sounds mm. like a magical little book town um, and i will put all of helen's details below as well for you guys to find if you're wanting to go follow her and read her book and all of the things and just thank you for your time it's been such a pleasure and i know that this episode will have sparked um, an ignited joy 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 and possibility and in some beautiful souls lives and you know your story will have impacted others and just thank you for your sparkle and your energy and your just grounded love that i can hear in what you do it's such an honor to speak with you today
1: thank you i've really enjoyed it (laughs) bye everyone welcome to
0: the other side beautiful souls i so deeply appreciate you spending this time with me My intention with this podcast is to uplift, love on and inspire you, and align my actions with this intention. But as with everything in the world of personal and spiritual development, take what feels good for you and leave the rest. As a white, able-bodied cisgender woman, the perspectives I share here are inherently affected by my privileges. I'm actively invested in learning how to elevate and support lived experiences beyond my own, and I'm always open to and grateful for your feedback. I am listening. No matter who you are, where you're from, or where you're going, I see you, I love you, and you matter. So thank you for listening, beautiful souls, and I'll see you next time.